Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dr. Doc After Dark number 47, Greg Crennan. And this is about being basically a debate on a Bitcoin bull versus bear. So this is the third in the Bitcoin mini series we've been doing. And the fourth one and the last one will be next week. And Greg is the CEO of Golden Coast Consultants and a fellow fiat skeptic. So Greg and I very much agree on the bearish long-term trajectory of fiat versus hard assets. So why are we having this debate? We, we both agree that gold is one of the assets you should own. And we both have decent exposure to it. But we disagree on Bitcoin. So uh, Greg's going to be asking me a bunch of tough questions, which I'll try my best to answer. So this isn't designed to change kind of a Bitcoin super bear's mind, um, but hopefully we can help uh, with a little bit of education and maybe remove some misconceptions that have built up over the years, and especially as some things have fundamentally changed as well. So Greg, welcome. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing today? It's a lovely morning in Hong Kong, so all is good. Outstanding. Um, so why don't we start with a quick intro to yourself um, and then... Basically, I'm switching roles here and handing it over to you to start grilling me. So go for it. Great. So uh, CEO of Golden Coast Consultants, started my wealth management firm about two years ago uh, after being in the industry for a while, uh, working for uh, multiple different um, companies and mainly as a financial advisor and consultant and realizing that uh, I had enough opportunity to kind of break away from the traditional big role model and I found a niche where there were a lot of people who needed more help than what was traditionally being rolled out to individuals. So I decided to start my own firm. So far it's been quite well and what a journey it's been and I just hope to share my knowledge and information with you and then also maybe get some clarification on Bitcoin uh, as well as you know I, I've seen a lot of crazy things. Uh, I may have not been investing actually in the tech bubble, but my family was exposed to the tech bubble. Uh, so I, I, I definitely lived through some uh, up and down times uh, during this crazy um, fiat mania over the past you know, 50 years or so since we went off the gold standard and um, lived through the housing bubble, obviously. Wasn't really affected by the housing bubble. Actually, I, I did get into most of my assets after that housing bubble popped uh, and was able to ride the the wave over the past decade or so which helped build my wealth actually and uh with that uh so with help building wealth you know i you know i come to be very skeptical uh about bitcoin obviously from my experience and uh, life where you know sometimes things seem to be you know too good to be true and looking at you know things like the tech bubble uh you know pets.com is always one and and I actually, before I get to ask you a question about Bitcoin, I'll tell you, I was actually in New York City uh, three years ago in December 2017. I, I was out um, in Manhattan and I actually remember getting in a cab. And Uber wasn't really popular at the time in, in New York City and, and it was in 2017. And I get in a cab and I'm with my uh, wife and we get in the cab and we go, oh yeah, take us to this place in you know Central Park. And we're in a cab, the cab driver's on the phone, and this cab driver's on the phone, and he goes, hey, man, whatever, however many thousands of dollars you can rack up, uh, we got to get this Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin's going to, they say, $100,000. If we can just get $20,000 together, you know, we can make an easy, like, $100,000. And I remember that, that Christmas, I was like, oh, man, this thing is not going to end well when the cabbies in New York City 
were trying to scramble to get money to, uh, to buy Bitcoin back then. So I ask you uh, to start off, you know, what is it when people are buying Bitcoin other than uh, the idea that they're buying, say, uh, digital gold? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that, it's a fair point about not just Bitcoin, but any asset when the cabbies are uh, telling you to buy it. So <laughs> it's generally not a good sign. And, and, and obviously, December 17 was... Um, right at the end of the kind of the Bitcoin tends to have like a four year cycle and that's due to its monetary policy, uh, which we can talk about um, for sure. And so that was right at the end of it and it got crazy and, and it moved far too fast too quickly. I mean, but again, that's what happens at the end of all bubbles, right? So, um, but by the way, he could have been very right because we're almost back at that 20,000 level now and maybe just had a long-term investing horizon. <laughs> Probably not, but um, so a couple of ways to answer this. First of all, you know, kind of what is it? Uh, what is Bitcoin? So it's a very personal question. I don't think there's an answer that everyone would agree on. Um, it's, I think I'm very clear on saying it's not money. I mean, to be money, you need to be uh, a medium of exchange, a unit of account and a store of value. You can argue it's a store of value. It's a, a sort of a medium of exchange. Um, but you can't use it in Starbucks, um, just like you can't use gold in Starbucks. And um, it's not a unit of account at the moment. You don't do your tax or accounting in Bitcoin. Um, so it's not money. But, that, but that, does that matter? No, I mean, I don't see why that matters. Gold doesn't uh, fulfill those things either. Um, so I, my answer has definitely changed a lot over the years. So when I first got in this space, which would have been about six or so years ago, six or seven years ago, um, I, I, it was very much like, well, this is digital money. Um, and then that called sort of people realized, well, it's got a lot of technical scaling that needs to happen. And also why are people, what people really forgot was why are people going to spend their Bitcoin if they think it's going to go up? Um, I mean, if you think gold's going to protect you in the long run, you're not going to go and spend your gold if you could in Starbucks. Like it's just the same mindset. Um, so then really it kind of, the narrative evolved to be, oh, well, it's this kind of, store of value to your point kind of digital gold and there's still definitely some of that i think more recently uh, you you've got people realizing that it's kind of a, a very pristine collateral so the world's collateral is really kind of u.s treasuries at the moment really short-term u.s treasuries and um you know if you have question marks on fiat then that may be not something um that will be the world's collateral forevermore uh, sort of related to that is some people would describe it as like the world's most secure computing network. So Bitcoin's never been hacked. Of course, exchanges have been hacked. And that's the same as banks being robbed. Banks have been right. robbed for the day that banks started. I think it was, what did I read? It was uh, 5,000 banks are robbed every year in the US. So there's 15 robberies a day. Um, now, most of them are very small, but you know, so it, the, the actual Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked. Um, and, and it's not just therefore, because it can also protect other assets that are kind of anchored into it. Um, so, so that's kind of how it can be a very secure form of uh, collateral as well. Um, and, and some people describe it as like, you know, an option on a new financial system. Like their Bitcoin bulls and gold bulls agree a million percent on the issues of fiat currency. They just disagree on like the last mile. I, I allude it to, if you think of the broadband network, you know, there's there's this backbone across any country of fiber optic um, 
networks are super fast and they go to your local exchange and then your local exchange might have a copper wire to your house. You might be lucky and have a fiber wire or whatever. Um, and it's that last mile as it's called in the UK where people disagree. Um, so is it worth having some exposure to it for an option for a new financial system? I would argue, yes, it's also not an option. So there's no time decay. Um, and it's got enough asymmetry, I would argue, whilst it could go to zero, it could go up a lot. And you're not paying, you're basically not paying theta decay, which you would be if you were buying call options. So, and my, yeah, other people would say it's a way to trustlessly transfer value, which you can with gold if you can meet someone. So, you know, I can send you money without needing to trust anyone. I don't need to use the banking system. I say money, I can send you value. Um, and, um, you know, we could do that if we exchange a gold bar in the town square, sure. But if we're not in the same place, it's a bit more tricky. We'd have to send it via post. And then in which case it's not trustless. Well, I, think- I definitely see your point as far as the current, but I do know that there are, uh, like the Perth Mint in Australia is working with a uh, crypto that is backed by, by gold, by the way. Yes. Um, so there are ways that, you know, if you had an account that, you know, you could do the, the transfer. Sure. So then you've got to trust the Perth Mint. Well, of course, of course. I, I, and by I the way, Australia was one of the only other country, Western country that also banned gold along with US. Just yeah. historically. <laughs> so, you know, you might want to trust the Perth Mint. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. I think it's a fantastic innovation. I think they're very trustworthy. And they're not, I'm not saying they're, perfectly trustworthy because probably no human beings are but that innovation so I, I, of, I, I, yeah, is a very good one. On, on technology right i love technology i'm like I, you know I was, I was born and you know we're about the same age i mean i love anything tech i'm usually like the first person to buy like the, the latest you know i do my research but most of the time i'm like the first to buy any you know gadget or gizmo uh out there and, and test its capabilities uh to see the max so i i love the idea um of being able to like send people money instantly, right? So that, that that's a great feature to have, right? Uh, being able to, um, but the the way of doing it, and also, um, and I agree that we're we're both on the same page where fiat's not good because they're in any world bank is printing uh, unlimited amount, right? So their their supply is infinite, right? So we all agree uh, on that aspect of of current current world currencies. And where if you work so hard um, and you don't want your current wealth to lose value, uh, you would obviously need something, a, a good that has somewhat of a, uh, you know, fixed supply or limited supply. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why housing, one of the reasons that housing goes up is because there's not enough housing, uh, current or affordable housing for everyone to live in. So obviously if there's more people who want a house, general, you know, supply and demand, you know, goes into effect there. So, you know, that's where hard assets, where we all agree on uh, is, is where to, to be in during this time of period where monetary policy is very reckless uh, worldwide. But I think the security issues with Bitcoin, you know, I, so when we were talking about uh, doing this, you know, I, I went to the, the Bitcoin website on Bitcoin itself, Bitcoin.org, and also went to Coinbase. And what kind of worries me, though, is if, you know, especially as a wealth manager, right, and I'm responsible, uh, you know, for my wealth and and client's wealth, that if someone comes up to me and says, I have, you know, 
$250,000 or a million dollars. It's like, if I, to, to me, if I don't feel confident in putting all of that money, say in one, even though it's, it's not recommended, but I'm like, if I don't feel confident in putting like a million dollars in an asset because it could go to zero or it could be taken from me um, and the insurance risk is, is not that great. And I, I see that as a big red flag basically with Bitcoin. Okay, so why do you think it can be taken from you? Uh, well, as far as the, uh, well, as far as, uh, you know, nothing really puts me, and I mean, we know that in history, uh, the, you know, the government has tried to, well, they banned gold in the 1930s, but uh, people had to turn in their gold. They, they actually, um, you know, people still held gold uh, during the, the 1930s, kind of like when they, they banned alcohol, you know, people were still drinking alcohol, but uh, when it's controlled through, uh, you know, your iPhone or, you know, these exchange servers or they're tracking you or can track you on your, you know, devices. Uh, you know, it kind of worries me uh, what the government would do, especially with the uh, statements by Fed Chairman Powell and Secretary Treasury Mnuchin this year that, uh, and the World Economic Forum that, you know, central bank digital currencies are coming. It's just a matter of when, not if. So we all know they're currently working with it. You know, uh, the Federal Reserve's working with MIT uh, and others uh, for, a, you know, a cryptocurrency uh, digital dollar. So, uh, you know, they don't like competition, obviously. And it, it, it would worry me uh, knowing that this is where they're going and what would they would do if there was competition um, so right. that, so that, that's my, my concern. That would be a concern. So, um, or one of my concerns, I should say. Okay. So sure. So therefore, I mean, governments, like you said, uh, well, there was prohibition for alcohol. People still drank, uh, people still own gold in the thirties. Uh, governments could ban gold tomorrow. Um, governments Correct. could ban, they could put capital gains tax up to 90% income tax to whatever. I mean, in the UK, income taxes were at around 80% in the 70s for a time. By the way, the UK government didn't raise any extra money when that happened, which is kind of a well-known effect too. Property tax could be put up massively. Um, they could take your land. Um, all this could happen. Absolutely. There's risk in everything. Um, well, yeah, right, right. You, know, you could own long-term trade. You could say, well, the US government has the world reserve currency, so I'm going to own bonds in the government. So you own treasuries. Well, to your point, they could in effect, uh, have a debt jubilee and write them off to some degree. Like all these things are possible. So it's a question of risk. Um, right. Do I suggest people have 100% of their liquid assets in Bitcoin? Absolutely not. That's nuts for most people. There are some very famous well-known people that are up at 80%. I think that's way, 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 way too high for most people. But equally, I don't think when people say, we'll just put a percent in, well, that's even if it 100Xs, it doubles your portfolio. It's not life-changing. And it it could go to zero. It could get hacked tomorrow and be destroyed. It'd be very, very difficult, but, um, but it could happen. So we should be aware that governments are going to do, I think the next 10 years is going to be, people are going to be trying to find ways where they can own assets that are harder for governments to touch because they're going to have to get their pound of flesh somehow. Um, and, um, you know, but again, politically, we don't know where, you know, the world's going to be in 10 years. So, you know, when it comes to storing, so for example, um, you mentioned Coinbase's insurance. So, I mean, Coinbase is just one exchange, right? It's an important exchange. It's the largest in US for, for retail. Um, right. And it, it's, um, 
bearing in mind, you know, r- roughly half of Bitcoin is traded OTC over the counter. So, you know, a lot of uh, institutions would not be using something like Coinbase. Um, and also top tip for anyone listening, don't use Coinbase, use pro.coinbase.com, which is still Coinbase, and then you'll pay 10 times less fees. They just don't tell you about that. So, so <laughs> it's literally the same account you have. So it's, it's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, so the Coinbase insurance is, is on their hot wallet. So that means the stuff they don't have in cold storage, it's about 2% of the Bitcoin they own, that's fully installed, so, uh, insured. So if Coinbase was hacked um, electronically, then they're covered. They've never been hacked, by the way, to be clear. Um, the 98% of the Bitcoin, the bulk of it, is stored in vaults underground and mines in several locations with multi-factor access. That would have to be physically breached or, or of course, a rogue employee or it would have to be a group of rogue employees. Um, sure, just like a bank could um, get robbed by employees and insiders too. I mean... You know, it's kind of similar. So, but yeah, that you, you do not get FDIC or equivalent um, insurance on your Bitcoin holdings. Uh, obviously, Coinbase insurance is not that type of insurance, but um, like you would if you had money in the bank. But the whole point here is we're talking about why we don't want money in the bank. So, um, and, um, you know, Coinbase is just a company, right? They have their own policies. So um, you don't need to use them. Um, and so to your point on, if you had a client, wanting to put a million dollars into something, then say they wanted to put it into Bitcoin. Well, then they have to work out, they probably have to go through a journey in all honesty, which is you, you, I always say to people at first, just buy a hundred dollars worth or $10. doesn't matter. Like a a small amount, go through the process, get comfortable with it, send it to someone, send it to another address, send it back to yourself on the exchange, maybe keep it on the exchange for a bit. Um, And, um, you know, but just get comfortable with, 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 with how it works. But most people over time will take self-custody of it. Um, and so just like actually in the gold industry, in, in, in gold, you, you hear people like Peter Schiff and others. Well, obviously, he's going to be pushing his own funds. But at the same time, he's always saying you should own physical gold. Well, OK, well, where do you own the physical gold? Some people put it in a bank vault. You can do that with your private key, which is sort of like your password to Bitcoin, right? It's sort of, I mean, it's, it's just a long string of random, they're not random, I guess, but basically <laughs> random numbers and letters, um, which if you had the private key, you could absolutely drain the wallet that it's linked to. Instant, not instantly, but within a minute, if you knew what you were doing. Um, and there will be absolutely no way of getting that money back. So just like if you had gold bars, um, at uh, home and someone robbed your house, then you're probably not going to have much luck in getting them back. Um, so there's a lot of analogies there too. M- most people get, you know, there's a lot of innovation in technology about how to self-custody Bitcoin with things like uh, uh, Ledger, Nanos, uh, Trezors. You know, gone are the days where people are saying, oh, print out your paper wallet and store it somewhere and don't cut it in half and send half of the words or of the code basically to your <laughs> mum in law and like tell her not to lose it and stuff like like to be honest like it's it's way past that you know technology can solve this so um you know but, but yes ultimately each bitcoin uh, um let's call it a wallet for the sake of argument is um it, it's secured by by a private key um and, and that's one of the key features of it, right? So I understand that that's scary for some people. Um, so sometimes people say, oh, but if I have all that Bitcoin, I might send it to the wrong address. I'm like, well, there's about a one in, I worked it out. It was a, if you type in a, 
if you make an error in the Bitcoin address, first of all, no one types out the Bitcoin address, right? You're going to copy and paste it. So, um, but if you did have an error in it, I think there was a one in a billion, billion chance that the uh, transaction would go through because there's error checking. So if you just get a letter wrong, it won't work. Well, unless you're like ridiculously unlike, uh, unlucky. Um, then right. you should probably play every lottery in the world every week. Um, <laughs> if you're, you know, and um, so th there's a misconception out there. And it's a bit, I mean, um, the very famous people have had this misconception that one mistake, you lose it all. Absolutely not. One mistake and it won't, it just won't go anywhere. Um, so people learn all this as they kind of play around with it. Um, you know, but still, you know, my point's always been, why is it gold versus Bitcoin? It should be gold and Bitcoin and everyone can make their own personal decision of to how to allocate to each and also what to allocate. So you know, owning GLD or IAU, which is backed by physical gold. I mean, it right. is, I mean, I'm sorry, but the people that say it's not, it, this is audited by big four firms. Um, I know executives at these companies, it is there now, at age 50, yeah. you know, right. Now, of course, the government could come in and say, right, we're going to take it all and they're going to roll in with the tanks and there's nothing you can do about it. Of course. Sure. Um, you know, some people want to own some gold or silver at home. That's fine, but it's pretty dumb to have a lot of it there. Um, also, if it's silver, it's yeah, going to take up know, a lot of space. <laughs> I, I think when, when people use a comparison, when, well, the government can, can ban it because they, they have banned it before. You know, I, I look at the reasons why they banned it and then why we didn't, you know, do it again in the 70s when we went off the gold standard. Yep. So, uh, and it was actually kind of reversed because Gerald Ford actually made it legal to reown. So a lot of people may not know that, but gold was banned to, to even though the U.S. was on a gold standard, it was actually illegal to uh, own gold up until Ford made it legal again. Gerald Ford made it legal in 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 the 70s. So he may go down as a as a great president uh, if we do happen to have bad uh, inflation here in the future. Where you know if he did able to own some gold, uh, he made it he made that possible. So um, you know it's interesting when you look at that because you could say, well, why when we went off the gold standard in the 70s. Why didn't they also ban gold? You know, they made gold available, and, they, and, the, and the price of gold, uh, because of inflation, was was pretty bad. You know, uh, skyrocketed. So, uh, I mean, they, they, if they wanted to really stop that from happening, what they could have done was they could have, uh, you know, banned gold back then as, as well. Uh, and and they never, you know, so far going on, you know, almost fifty years or so. Uh, you know, there's no reason why they would ban gold, and I, I think that when central banks, because they can um, print uh, uh, or create as many currency units uh, that they want, uh, you know, it would really, to me, only be a concern um, with inflation if there was like a big geopolitical risk where basically, you know, our global economy doesn't become a global anymore. And where you have these concentrated, concentrated goods, say in Asia, not being exported around the world anymore. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, if there was a China and the rest of the world uh, decoupling from global economic scale, and if everything's made in China, uh, that, you know, they wouldn't accept our fiat anymore, right? Because why would they accept our currency that we're just uh, creating out of thin air to, for their cheap products? So um, I, I really don't see a ma major inflation happening until there would be a geopolitical event 
um, where it would cause the, the, the price of goods to really uh, get into like a bad inflation scenario, I guess I can say. Kind of like how one of the reasons was we had the uh, uh, oil crisis in the 70s, which helped uh, cause prices of everything to, to rise, basically. Um, but just going back as, as far as the, the safety part goes, uh, you know, it's, it, I know you, you say, well, just, you know, buy, you know, just a little bit of Bitcoin, but you know, I, I for me, it's like, if I don't believe in something, you know, I, it's, it's, I'm very kind of, I'm not like saying all or nothing, but like, I really just need to believe in something. And, uh, you know, I, with that whole security issue with, with Bitcoin and the fact that their, their website does say, or Coinbase, Coinbase. Uh, just to be clear, uh, there is no website for Bitcoin. Like, right, right. That's it's just, it's, no one runs Bitcoin. Bitcoin.org and very confusingly Bitcoin.com is owned by Bitcoin Cash, which is a fork of it. So be Thank you. very wary what you read. No one owns Bitcoin. So um, there's so no CEO. Coinbase insurance policy. So if, if sure. someone would buy something on, on Coinbase, you know, uh, it says insurance does not co cover any uh, losses resulting in compromise of your personal account. So, you know, that just, that would just worry me if, if I was dealing with, you know, if you if people want to speculate, uh, you know, that that's fine. But I, you know, I just don't see that as if I had a, at least a very significant amount of money. Uh, you know, that, that it's just a very right. But, but why does it? So but okay, so let's say you use interactive brokers to trade, and you've got lots of money on it, and your account mm -hmm. gets compromised. And, and by the way, it's the same way it'd be compromised There's a password and a two factor authentication. Correct. So it's identical. Um, Coinbase, by the way, has an extra um, layer which is in the vaults there uh if you had your it, it coins in deep storage then you're going to get an email every 12 hours for two days asking if you're sure you want to make that uh withdrawal um, and all you have to do is click on the link and it will stop it um and so there's extra things which actually you don't have on large broker brokerage platforms now okay some of the interactive brokers does have a limit into how much say fiat money you can withdraw but you could make a bunch of trades and wreck you um if you got into someone's account. So I don't see how it's any different. I mean, it's literally a password and a two-factor authentication. So, well, you know, yes, what? you can get compromised in your account, but the thing is you can call your bank and say, I didn't, you know, that there are, there are people on the other on the other side who are willing to, to help you. So if you, you know, if you're like, I didn't, you know, knock this trade, you know, they can investigate, you know, who, who, you know, who accessed that trade in your account. So, um, you know, that there are ways that basically that there is, there is someone on the other line, uh, you know, if your account was to get hacked, basically. So you're just hoping, them. you're just hoping that, I mean, if, if someone goes in and makes some trades on your account, you may or may not get them reversed. So, I mean, it's, it's still a, it's, well, nothing's honestly hundred percent proof, except, you know, I mean, gold is actually, you know, can't destroy gold, but I mean, nothing is a hundred percent, you know, foolproof, but I mean, it's at least a, another security blanket. But, right. But uh, when is your, but how often is your, I mean, I don't know about you, but my brokerage account has never mm -hmm. been hacked. It uses a password. I don't use anywhere else. It's bloody long password. <laughs> I've right, got my, right. I've got my authentications. I've got all the security on incredibly hard to. I mean, my point to people is, okay, fine, this could all happen, but have you ever bought any Bitcoin? Any? Like 10 bucks worth and just tried just to see, get comfortable with it? Because everyone said the internet would be insecure 
for decades and it was insecure in the early days <laughs> don't get me wrong um and um everyone said in the late 90s well no one will ever put their credit card online they will be stupid to do that and that was literally 99 percent of people saying that well they were wrong um then you now have password managers and other ways of making sure that you have different passwords everywhere because everyone used the same password everywhere everything goes through evolutions um i just find it difficult to i find it really really hard when someone I get that what you're saying, but like, I'm pretty sure that you, I mean, my point is to people is just buy some, and I mean a tiny amount and just go through the process and get comfortable. And if it takes five years to get comfortable, it takes five years. It took some people 20 years to get comfortable with online shopping. Um, you know, it, it's really no different. And also now you've got people like Fidelity doing custody. So the office of the controller of the currency who, um, a, a, who actually used to be the Coinbase CLO, actually. So they just changed the law in the US, changed the rules, in effect. They can't change the law. Um, to allow prime brokerage, i.e. to allow US banks to custody your Bitcoin in a way that means that you would have the usual protections. So now, a Bitcoiner would say, yes, but you don't own the Bitcoin because like, if you buy it through PayPal, PayPal's just, uh, you're just a database entry. So you need to be able to take the Bitcoin out and self-custody it. Well, that's what some people want to do, but other people just want to buy it on PayPal and leave it there and feel that they're protected. So that's fine. The point is there's more and more options as time goes by. So you're going to have any broker, the Fidelities, the Schwabs, the big guys, any bulge bracket bank, people like PayPal, all giving options. At the same time, you could self-custody it if you want. Um, you know, so point is, is give people different options and they can work out and most people as they spend time in this industry gravitate away from someone else holding it and more towards themselves holding it because if the real doomsday hits in terms of governments go crazy which is possible you know 2020 as i say to people 2021 <laughs> could be worse you never know um then uh the, anything in a bank you know let's not let's not forget what happened in cyprus there were bank bail-ins uh, I mean, this happened in 2013 or so from memory. You literally woke up and if you had over 100,000 euros in your account or whatever it was, you had half the amount. Done. You'd lost it. Done. Nothing you can do about it. Right. Oh, that's pretty freaking bad. And that could happen <laughs> anywhere. That was part of Europe. It is part of Europe. Like, this isn't just, this wasn't in, um, you know, Zimbabwe or Chad or somewhere. Like, so, you know, there's, I just find that most people with your argument of just, they haven't, even you know, if there's curiosity there, own $10 of it and it's irrelevant if it gets hacked and just try and get comfortable with it. Um, yeah, that's always my argument to people. And I know it doesn't convince m many people, but, um, but you know, there are more and more ways, that's for sure. It, this was a big issue like five years ago. I mean, don't get me wrong. Is your, is your main, um, for you personally, owning Bitcoin because of just the uh, limited supply uh, so that if more people buy it, that that preserves you, uh, your purchasing power and your wealth. It, so, because uh, there, there would really be not other uses of it other than that there is a fixed supply. And then if, if a bunch of people buy it, you know, there's less supply. So your value tends to go, will go up. Um, yeah. So and, this is a, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and this just is a good curious, question. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm just trying to see. So, other, so, you know, you're in hopes of the only way that you could preserve your your purchasing power or your wealth is if, you know, more people don't either don't sell where it maintains and, and keeps its current value where it is today. 
uh, if no one ever came back and bought or sold Bitcoin, um, or you're hoping that more people buy it, which would then drive your current Bitcoin up in, in, in price, because you couldn't, you know, what else could you do other than the, the supply and demand um, issue, I guess, of, of Bitcoin? Okay, so there's, there's a lot more to, it, to that too. So, uh, well, I mean, ultimately, any commodity is about supply and demand, right? At the end of the day, I mean, every price is a bid and an ask. So, yeah, there's no different in that regard. So, in effect, this question is, why does Bitcoin have value? Um, it's, it's the same question, really. And what are you expecting to happen? So, you know, the most probably, it's still not widely understood, but pretty, I know you understand it, you know, feature is that it's got a known monetary policy. So, Every four years, so the way Bitcoin, Bitcoin is mined, just like gold is mined. There's absolutely no difference apart from how you mine it. Um, gold is mined out the ground. It could be mined out the seawater. It's just not economic. It could be mined from an asteroid. It's certainly not economic. <laughs> gold is gold is gold, right? It's maybe not created actually when stars supernova. We actually think the latest idea is, is when neutron stars collide. Well, that's how gold's created in the universe. And I do have a PhD in physics and know a little bit about that stuff. But... <laughs> But it doesn't matter, right? The point is there is gold in the earth. And by the way, there's a hell of a lot more gold in the earth than we've ever got out. We have not even scratched the surface of extracting gold from planet earth. Seawater alone has got, I think, 30 parts per billion, whatever it is. It's just not economic. So it, it works in the same way in that you, you have gold mines that consume a lot of energy. Um, they also wreck the landscape and stuff, but let's ignore all that for now. Um, and to my, basically mining Bitcoin yes, consumes energy too, electricity, and basically is solving, uh, it's in effect solving a large factorization problem, which is hard for computers to do. I could do a whole podcast on quantum computers on this, but I don't think we should go too much into that here. But yeah, the kind of right. too long didn't read is, I'm not at all worried about quantum computing and Bitcoin in the short term. Um, but over decades, yes, but equally Bitcoin will evolve because it's software. The issue with gold is you can't change it. It's element number 79. Right. That's it. It ain't 78, it ain't 80. Um, <laughs> Bitcoin is, is, is software. It absolutely can and does change. So it's more like sort of like a, an evolving company, except it's not a company. Now, again, people can struggle with that. But having a known monetary policy, which just out of complete coincidence right now, has the identical inflation rate to gold. So gold inflates by very roughly 2% a year plus or minus, depending on how much mining's happened. And Bitcoin is exactly at that too. Uh, except the Bitcoin one is known. And every two weeks, if there's a sudden surge in mining or less mining, what's called the difficulty adjusts, meaning that it becomes harder or easier to mine Bitcoin and it keeps that inflation at a constant rate. And every four years, that rate halves. So we've just had the halving a few months ago. The next yeah. one will bring it down to 1%, then half a percent, then a quarter of a percent, then an eighth of a percent. And basically it keeps going to 2140 when unless the code changes uh, significantly, it would be below the lowest common denominator, which is a 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, which is called a Satoshi. Um, so right now it's actually very interesting that it's got exactly the same inflation rate as gold. So having a known monetary policy is definitely a interesting thing in a world where central banks gone crazy. So, so there's value in that. Um, there's, uh, by the way, the most flippant answer is the market says it has value. And the, just like the market market says gold has value and Apple stock or Tesla or anything has value. That's always the flippant, but correct answer. You know, something is worth what the market says it is. Um, it's, 
you know, it, it's got absolutely um, it not talked about so much as being the world's most secure network and what that can allow. So ultimately, assets can be uh, owned on blockchains and the most secure of them is Bitcoin. The second most secure is Ethereum. Um, and and then you could freely trade them with others quickly. So you could change the ownership of your house quickly um, right. you know, in the long right. run, right? This doesn't happen yet. So that's interesting. Now, we've talked about energy. It's easy to send. You can take it across your board. You can take it across borders in your head. You just need to remember 12 words. A very specific 12 words out of a, a, a basically a menu of 2,000 words. And the order matters. But if you really had to, you could flee persecution, which you cannot do with gold bars in your pocket. Let's be very honest about that. Um, but if you really, and this is not, thank, hopefully going to affect most people, but people living in states where they're being persecuted and they're fleeing can absolutely leave with all their value if it's in Bitcoin and they can have it in their head. That's pretty cool. That is not the reason to own it forever. That's, that's a reason that some people in the world have already found incredibly useful. Um, of course, you could forget the words. I'm well aware of stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but I think the most important stat for me is simple one. There's only ever 21 million of them. Anyone that says that's easy to change is deluded. It's not. We can go into why. But that means that for every man, woman, and child on earth, there is 0.003 Bitcoin. So if I get my calculator... Um, so right now we're at 18,500 times 0.003... So right now, everyone on earth can own $50 of Bitcoin and that's it. That's it. Um, so even now, if you owned 0.1 Bitcoin, that would be 30 times more than um, if you averaged it out across the world. Um, and so if there's a chance, which there is a chance, it's not 100%, it's not zero, that it, it does provide the, found, the foundations of a new uh, infrastructure for money, which I did a whole podcast with Jeff Snyder on next generation reserve currencies. You know, and I fully believe the next one will be energy, not any form of fiat currency. Um, sorry, gold people. I'm not, I don't think it will be gold, but, but in effect, gold is like energy because you need energy to make gold, you need energy to make Bitcoin. So it's actually, if it's energy then, which is a universal thing, actually it'd be very beneficial for gold and Bitcoin. Um, so, so there's 0.003 for every person on the planet um so if you own one bitcoin right now which is as i said eighteen and a half thousand, like um yeah that's um you're you're, you're basically 300 times more than the average person can own so it gives uh, younger generations a chance as well to get their own back on um the basically the uh, baby boomers um who own almost all the wealth and you get these generational shifts neil how talked about it in the fourth turning his book, you get the long-term debt cycle. The fourth turning is four generations. So roughly 80, 90 years. Long-term debt cycle is about 80, 90 years. Um, we're at the end of both again. And you get major shifts. So, you know, again, not, not suggesting everyone should put half their assets into this, but like to just be on nothing stubbornly because you're right, I think that's nuts. Like, you know, and by the way, I would say exactly the same thing about gold. Um, so... And I just see people make this such a religious thing that, well, it's so obviously it's seashells. Well, what the hell? Seashells went up once and went down once. And that was that as the, uh, what else? The tulips are the other one, right? You know, the tech bubbles are really good example because that went up, it went down 
And then the next generation of all the world's largest companies came through it, mainly US and Chinese companies. Correct. You know, but that happened, right? It was a new paradigm. So it, yeah. it's just really interesting when you talk about energy, right? And, and, and you know, it, it takes energy. So like to me, when it's like, well, you know, Bitcoin need, needs to run off electricity. Well, then what, you know, what is electricity made out of, right? So you need those commodity pieces because without those commodity pieces, Correct. you wouldn't be able to, to, ha to have Bitcoin, right? So, you know, those commodity pieces, you know, are, are very valuable to Bitcoin. And same thing where depending on how, you know, um, the next four years go uh, under, you know, how the U.S. government uh, turns out to be and well as what the narrative or uh, all the global economies push forward when it comes to renewable energy and a green new deal or, or, or the great reset. So say if they want to say, put solar panels on every single building throughout the entire world to run on renewable energy, you know, silver uh, is one of the main ingredient or main commodities that go into silver. And for every single solar panel requires about 20 grams per panel or about 0.64 troy ounces of silver, uh, which is equate to about 6% of the total cost uh, of, of building the solar panels. Yep. So, you know, when, you know and I'm also a, in the silver and, and as actually- I'm long uh, silver too, so I'm hoping this happens. <laughs> that would be great. Love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so th that's the thing. And also silver is um, one of those commodities and metals where we, we actually, as a society, we use and we actually kind of like throw out. Uh, it's one of those main metals that we use in, you know, construction. Right, because it's not a high enough percentage. Like your point, it's 6%. So actually, if it doubles in price, it becomes 12% of the cost. But it's not like it's 50% of the cost. And if it doubles in price, well, you've got a problem. So, right. you know, it's actually like, you know, you have the same with rare earth metals, right? Um, very, very common in, in that regard. Um, but by the way, my last podcast was all about the oil and gas industry with Marty Bent, who's a who works at Great American Mining, which is a Bitcoin miner, but uses excess gas flared off North Dakota and West Texan oil rigs. The gas is literally just being flared or vented, i.e. not even burnt, which is even worse. Um, and they use that to, to power 40-foot containers with a million dollars worth of Bitcoin miners inside. Complete no-brainer. I was talking to my friend at a... He works at one of the world's largest um, oil and gas companies. He's a well, his boss is an executive, so he's like one layer below. I was talking him through this, and he's listened to the podcast. He's like, this is the most obvious thing I've ever heard of. So the oil and gas industry, i.e. people that enable power, are going to be incredibly important in the world. Not just oil and gas, but to your point, solar, um, other renewables, nuclear, as in fission. One day fusion may work, sure. Well, we know fusion works because the sun's right. there. But, you know, it will work one day, but it's frankly a, a while away. And so what's amazing is, you know, we, we're gonna, we don't need oil and gas, but we do need energy. Correct. Well, we need oil, and oil for plastics, right? We haven't solved that in other ways, but, but we need energy. That's the core thing we need. And so, um, hence why ultimately I think that will be the world's reserve currency. Um, and you know, why would it go from the you know, US dollar to some another random fiat currency? It doesn't seem to make that much sense. Um, and yeah, so the oil and gas industry will become very important. Um, for, for probably for Bitcoin too, because they control a lot of the energy production and utilities and, 
uh, you know, and so it's, um, but again, it's a slightly different argument here with, than gold because you can't mine gold anywhere. You sort of can if you're by the ocean, but it's just very uneconomic and pretty dirty to get gold out of seawater at the moment. Um, and it's pretty unlikely your oil and gas well is going to be next to a rich gold vein. Um, right. But Bitcoin doesn't matter. You could be uh, literally orbiting Mercury and powering Bitcoin miners with solar panels and transmitting back the data to Earth and you would have Bitcoin, so, um, which you could sell immediately from you know, a spacecraft orbiting Mercury. I have no idea why we want to orbit Mercury. But, um, so yeah, this stuff's fascinating stuff. And, um, you know, and, and so it's not all, there, there are definitely differences with the gold and Bitcoin thing, but there are huge similarities too, especially when it comes to energy. So, yeah. Right. Uh, so I guess when, when, when you say like um, owning a, a, a precious metal, uh, you know, I see the, the, the value also very, and, and they could use gold, obviously, in a lot of these electronic uh, or renewable energy play, but obviously because of the cost of gold, it doesn't make sense to use gold versus yeah, well, That's just a functional thing. decision. It's what, what, what is the cheapest thing that has the performance I need. Like Correct. it's very Correct. simple. I mean, whether it's platinum, copper, gold, silver, it, it, palladium, it just depends, right? So also there's massive advances there with carbon nanotubes and other ways of conducting electricity. So, you know, precious metals don't have to be doing that forever. And in fact, they won't be, um, you know, technology solves a lot. Um, as we've just seen with the vaccine, right? Pretty amazing. 95%. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Never um, oh, underestimate technology. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm actually, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's just very interesting how also um, the governments worldwide have such a huge role now in markets because depending on uh, how all the pieces in the U.S. play, say if there was, uh, you know, complete democratic control, I mean, the, the more push for renewables and like banning gasoline cars by, you know, California, where I'm currently in, uh, you know, we're already saying that, you know, you won't be able to sell, you know, gasoline cars by 2035, I think yes. it was. Yep. Um, so, you know, government basically forcing the free market's hand. So it's like, you know, right now that all these, anything with EV attached to it is uh, taking off um, because of these government decisions. So, I mean, you know, if we really, as a global economy push this whole, you know, great reset or, or, or green new deal. Uh, I, you know, I, I just don't see how these um, precious uh, metals, uh, you know, don't play such a huge role in them going forward because, you know, we, we need them to create these goods that we, we want in the future, basically. Oh, sure, I, I, I 100% agree on that. And, and also very much rare earths, which get talked about a bit less, I would argue uranium, just because we need nuclear fission. Um, there's no perfect solution to energy until fusion. And then that's still not perfect because eventually you're going to need more, more power than the sun can provide in terms of if we created, well, that's kind of slightly wrong way of saying it, but it's in effect solar power, but like, you know, nothing's perfect, right? You know, you're not going to have a small fusion reactor in your basement unless the technology, <laughs> well, you may do one day, of course, but like, uh, in fact, I'm absolutely sure you will one day, but, um, but it, you know, it's all very interesting. And, um, so, I mean, there's, there's zero pushback from me on the bull case on 
gold and silver and that type of stuff. Um, you know, most energy used to well, farm I, Bitcoin, I you know, is, um, is, is, is incredibly cheap energy that is very, um, so, you know, for example, the, the miners in China move around China based upon the season because they're using a bunch of hydroelectric in the north of China um, and in other countries when it's the rainy season, basically. And it's super duper cheap and totally clean, by the way. So most estimates put about 70%. Well, I say most. This is slightly contested. But when I say slightly, I mean greatly. But <laughs> um, <laughs> about from the research I've read, about 70% of Bitcoin mining is, is, is clean energy. Um, but again, if you're using energy as a currency, you have massive incentives for everyone to be super efficient at everything they do, much more efficient than we are now, which I think is greatly beneficial for society at large. Um, the other really interesting point I forgot to mention was, so people think there's been gold ETFs. A lot of people think there've been gold ETFs for a long time. This is not true. Um, the first gold ETFs came in the early 2000s. I can't remember the exact date. It was around 2003, but you can tell because you just have to look at the price chart. Right. Um, and it's when the price went up a lot. Why? Because it bought huge liquidity. Why? Because you could suddenly own gold via your Schwab account, your interactive brokers account or whatever you use. And it was SEC approved, blah, 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 blah. Now gold ult ultimately of course had a correction in 07, 08 at first, and then had a great bull run. Um, but it had a bull run before due to extra liquidity. So, you know, obviously we've had gold futures for longer, but like, so Bitcoin has had, of course, Bitcoin futures on CME group. So again, if you want to own, so you can like say whatever you want about owning Bitcoin. Well, okay, well then have exposure to futures. I mean, if you trade gold futures or any commodity future or bond futures or S&P futures, which lots of people do, we, um, you can just have it. Uh, it's uh, what is it? BKK or BKR? I can't remember the, um, the ticker, but it's one of those. And, um, well, there you go. It's what, 2 billion a volume, notional volume a day. Um, now you have to do it in five Bitcoin lots. So it's, uh, you're taking exposure of 100K minimum. But again, if you're trading futures, you should be able to cope with that and know what you're doing with the risk management. Well, then you've got, that's cash settled, but based upon the Bitcoin price. Um, there's no risk whatsoever then um, on um, you losing that because you know, the whole argument of well interactive brokers will make you whole well fine it's a CME approved SEC approved CFTC approved way to trade and it has liquidity of 2 billion a day and the ETF will come as well so once Jay Clayton's out and he's already resigned who knows if the who the next Fed chair will be um, if it's someone like Hester Pierce who's crypto mum for sure, you're going to be getting one quickly, but it could be someone who's against it, right? And you have to wait another four years, five years. Sorry, I don't mean Fed, I mean SEC chair. Um, but it will come. Um, and, um, and then that will allow everyone who can trade a stock to buy some and not have to worry because they will be structured like GLD is, right? So there'll be underlying physical Bitcoin behind it. Those who want to trade futures can trade futures. So, by the way, none of this was possible five years ago. Like, you know, you you actually just had to buy spot Bitcoin, and that was that. But now there's just such a massive variety of ways. There are ETNs you can use, and Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is the largest. They own about four percent of Bitcoin, so it's a lot. Um, so there's like twelve or thirteen, fourteen billion dollars in it. And again, that's GBTC. Anyone can trade it. It does have a premium. Um, the premium ranges from a few percent up to sometimes 30%, but buying it when the premium's low is normally after a correction. And that can be a good way. It's traded in a lot of retirement accounts. 
um, in U.S. Can they can do you trade do Bitcoin. anything besides just uh, buy and and sit on your Bitcoin like you uh, you do uh, say gold as well? So uh, I know there are some people do different things with uh, Bitcoin as far as maybe. Oh uh, no! So yeah, for example, it's more on Ethereum, right? Right? You can. Um, you mean things like the yield and yield farming and various correct. ways of generating correct. yield. Um, I'm just like, in all honesty, I don't need to, for, for frankly, okay. If, if the people that are generating like hundred percent yields a year, think it's risk-free, they're totally nuts. It's not. Um, but for the big liquid things, Bitcoin, Ethereum, it's only going to be a few percent a year. Um, and I just don't think it's worth it. You know, the, it's possible there's an error in a smart contract. It's possible, you know, these things have happened again, there can be errors in, Citibank just paid out, what was it, half a billion dollars to people by mistake. Like, I mean, well, I mean, the US government just sent out, uh, you know, $1,200 checks to over a million people who right. are dead. Who are dead, right? And by the way, in the Citibank thing, no, <laughs> no, no, the banks didn't roll it back, just to be very clear. Yeah. Your argument before, no, 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 they sent it to hedge funds. Hedge funds are suing to say, no, you sent it to us, it's mine, piss off. <laughs> this, was a, this was a bond, a high yield bond thing, it was big, big news. And they, they, instead of paying out the coupon, they paid back the principal as well by mistake. <laughs> and some people sent the money back and other people stuck their finger up and said, we'll see you in court. Thanks very much. Right, right. We wanted to get out this bond and now we are. So if you're that dumb, Mr. Citibank, that's your problem. And it was just human error merged with software error. So these things happen all the time. Um, by the way, on software error, I mean, it's a very interesting argument on you know, who controls Bitcoin? Like, so who do you think controls Bitcoin? By the way, I, I don't, there is no one answer here, but like, just wondering what, you know, what's your kind of take on it from well, the other side? Like, well, what worries me also um, with Bitcoin, and I know that we're, we're both on agreement that we kind of want to be somewhat decentralized from, you know, uh, fiat currency, no matter what, what country that you, you live in. Um, but the fact is, you know, if say I have my precious metal of gold and, and silver, and even if I wanted to store it here at my house, I know that that's mine. I'm, I'm not worried about it being, um, you know, I guess the, the people who created Bitcoin or a person who created Bitcoin, uh, you know, the, I know the decentralized fact is great, but also a little bit worries me because you don't know who's behind this and you know as as in history there have been so many uh schemes that it worries me that it, you know it's a, a scheme because you don't the the information about it is like um so unknown about it and you know that you know that's a, i think that's a very skeptical thing and hard for people to kind of believe in because of that uncertainty, like who's really behind this? Is it a government? Is it, you know, the mafia? 100% not a government. Come on. There is yeah. <laughs> zero chance. Utterly zero. Uh, so uh, it, it's just, it, it's just interesting to me not knowing who, you know, and what was their motives uh, behind it, you know, and then I see the marketing aspect of Bitcoin. And every time you go onto your, your newsfeed app or, you know, um, some market headline, and they say, you know, Bitcoin's price is, is this, and it's a picture of a gold coin with a B on it. Uh, right. But there know, is so no Bitcoin marketing either, right? This is just what people do. Right, right. But yeah. 
this yes, is all happening organically. So yeah. Yes, the the organic role of what they you know. I wish every time someone created an article with Bitcoin, the financial news media, you know, they would show like a bunch of data servers and mining fields to show what, what people are buying. Because, you know, it does create for someone who maybe not be uh, intelligent or, or looking into it, they, they see a, a picture of what they think Bitcoin is, which is like a gold coin uh, that is a limited supply and, you know, maybe gives a false. By the way, there's no, there's no um, coincidence that whoever made that Bitcoin thing, right? And by the way, really, no one made it. It just existed. But I'm pretty sure whoever did it at first, it was pretty certain why it was this orangey gold, right? I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, there's probably no coincidence there, but that's from a long time ago. Um, and so look, it's an interesting one. I mean, I would very strongly argue that listening to what you've said before is surely you don't want something to be centralized. Like the whole concept of fiat currency is its centralization that causes it to have monopolistic hegemony power, especially if it's US dollars. Right. And the entire thing we don't want is that. Um, now, who runs Bitcoin? Well, th there is no one answer. But first of all, on Satoshi Nakamoto, whether it's a he, a she, an it, a them, or a thing, um, I don't know. Um, I think it's highly likely to have been Hal Finney, who is now dead. Um, he had ALS. He was absolutely known to be the first person that Bitcoin was transferred to. Um, that's a fact. And you can look in the blockchain. He owns the private key to the wallet. Would be pretty logical for Satoshi to transfer something to himself. Um, but people don't know. But my point is, I hope we never know. The whole point is it's great we don't know. One of the issues Ethereum has, and I am long Ethereum, but far less long than I am Bitcoin, is that Vitalik Buterin is the de facto CEO. He's not the CEO in the traditional sense, but he sort of is. So that is actually, I would say, a weakness of it. Um, so there are three people that run Bitcoin, three groups of people. Um, the first are the, what are called the nodes. So these are the people that replicate the full Bitcoin blockchain, which is about 300 gigabits. So most home, I'm on a Mac at home, it's got a two terabyte, okay. two, two terabyte hard drive, so 300 gigabytes, I could fit six Bitcoin blockchains on it if I wanted to. Um, so anyone can run a node. You do have to be a little bit technical. Um, these are geeks, by the way, who, but, and just when people say, well, governments can hack the nodes. Yeah, right. You're literally trying to hack the computers of the most geek, geek people of the geeks. Like, good luck. <laughs> um, so I checked the numbers today. So there's 11,276 what are called listening nodes, which are just full nodes. They have the, the key thing is they have the full copy of the Bitcoin, Bitcoin blockchain. So 11,000, but these are publicly visible nodes. But there's about 100,000 full nodes that are not visible, but we can't know the exact number. And again, some people would say, well, that's a weakness. Others would say that's a strength because they're behind VPNs. We don't know what countries they're in. Um, it's impossible to find them. You'd have to knock on the door. If you wanted to change the blockchain itself, we'll get to miners in a second, which is another way to do it. But if you wanted to, quote unquote, hack the blockchain, you would literally go and have to find over half of these 100,000 nodes, which, you, which are on random computers in the world, run by the most geek of geeks. Um, and literally physically, or maybe you could write some super duper clever um, you know, virus to do this. Well, you're up against the world's biggest geeks. So again, good luck. Um, if you could write that virus, you could absolutely hack everything in the world anyway. Um, and I would say, and by the way, where are these nodes? So the listening nodes, which we know where they are, um, 
well, we generally know, some we don't know, um, but uh, we don't know where a quarter of them are, but 17% uh, are in the US, that's the largest country, 15% in Germany, 5% France, 4% Netherlands, 3% Canada. Of note, I did not say the word China there. Uh, that's about 2% when it comes to notes. So it's uh, now mining very different, of course, but that's really due to the, because of the price of electricity and ingenuity of Chinese entrepreneurs. So from a node perspective, i.e. who could actually change, let's just call it the database behind it. Um, I would argue that you know, the, the decentralization is exactly the point. Um, and it's you know, incredibly hard to attack that side. I don't think anyone thinks feasibly there is any way to really attack that side. Um, it's, it's way beyond critical mass. Um, so, so that's kind of, I think that's- it, it, When important. you explain it or break it down like that, right? It, it, to me, it, it's even like, man, to get all that done, there must have been like a lot of people to get, get all those pieces in play. I mean, you know, that-, that, that No, like it was entirely organic. It's literally I, organic. I mean, Greg, it's like, well, okay, how did, okay, my friends founded Skype. They didn't do any marketing. Everyone else, like Vinage at the time and other people were plowing hundreds of millions of dollars into marketing. Well, Skype right. is a typical network effect, right? You know, network effects. This was just a bunch of geeks on forums at first, cryptography forums at first, and it went more to people who are more engineer, you know, software geeks who like got it. They understood, you know, maybe some of them were Austrian economists, economists, blah, 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 right? And, but it started with cryptography geeks who were the, pretty much at the, the, the pinnacle of geekdom. And I say that as a geek, you know, I, I <laughs> love them. Um, and um, it just happened. And by the way, in the early days, there were a tiny number of nodes. There was one and there was two, there was three, and it just grew. These people are not paid to run the nodes. Now in Ethereum's next iteration, Ethereum 2, which is actually quite close to launching its, its phase zero, which again, phase zero doesn't give you too much confidence that it's <laughs> gonna be, it's, well, it's phase zero of many, right? Um, but the, um, on, in, in the new version of Ethereum, ETH 2.0, you will get paid to, in effect, validate and run what's called proof of stake. But in Bitcoin, the node holders don't get anything. They're doing this purely voluntarily. They really have no cost. They already have a computer. They already have bandwidth. So it's just taking up some hard drive space. And they're doing their bit for the community. That's why it's so powerful. No one orchestrated this. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, fine. Someone could say, well, someone did. The US government did. It's just. I'm not, I know you're not saying that. I've heard people say, I'm like, it's just completely farcical. Like those type of people literally shouldn't do anything in life because if they go outside, <laughs> they might be hit by lightning. Um, so the nodes is really not where I've ever heard any convincing attack arguments. I think on the mining side, it's more interesting. Um, and I say interesting in that there's more of a debate for sure. With um, Now, since Bitcoin uh, came out, there have been other cryptocurrencies. So, and blockchain is still a, a part of that. So when yeah. you say, you know, or, or, or a lot of people are very big just on Bitcoin, like how come, you know, these other cryptocurrencies, um, and, and I, I've looked into, uh, you know, or read a, a bunch of them uh, or, or what makes them kind of go, but like, why would Bitcoin be the one of cryptos and the other you know, cryptocurrencies, you know, would not be, I mean, I mean, basically like the gold standard, like why right. would, you know, another cryptocurrency, you know, take its place, I guess, you know, why so are we talking you... on zoom? Right. It's, that's it. And by the way, before, why, why would we have talked on Skype? 
So networks can change. It's just a network. It's very simple. You've got the most trust. You've got the most security defined by the hash rate, i.e. the computing power behind it. So Bitcoin has, let's take Ethereum out of it. But if you look at the Bitcoin clones, they only have 1% of the hash rate and it's massively centralized. So that's a joke. Um, I mean, Bcash, the two Bcashes and BSV. Um, Ethereum has um, still way less hash rate than Bitcoin. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like 10x less or so. Um, but it's actually hashed in a different way. Um, so as in the, 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 the calculation is actually a different one um, to, to the Bitcoin one. You can't just turn Bitcoin miners into Ethereum miners and hack Ethereum. It doesn't work like that. Uh, just from simple code and mathematical and hardware standpoint. Um, right. So uh, therefore to... To, to, to suddenly take over the network, you'd need to create all these miners. Well, that's just like saying, if you want to suddenly mine lots of gold, you have to suddenly create lots of big trucks and you have to dig a lot and you have to build the facilities. It takes time and capital. So it's not something you can just, you can't just turn Google's data centers to, or Tencent's data centers to mine Bitcoin. They're the wrong type of hardware. They're, in, they're literally over a thousand times less efficient than the best graphics cards. So they'll get nowhere. Um, so it, it's kind of very specialized and, and, and that gives, there is a, I actually love the idea you had, which was to show mining equipment because it shows there is something behind it. There's a serious amount of capital that's been outlaid into it. And I would argue even the oil and gas industry will be, you know, outlaying a lot of that in the future. I, not oil and gas, but utilities and power generators in, in general. Um, but you know, it's, um, Yeah. Should we get into mining? That's sort of the most contentious, I would say. No. Yeah. Uh, so, we, we, you know, so I, I looked, I mean, you know, the, we all, you know, for hopefully everyone uh, who listens, you know, knows that Bitcoin is through a bunch of data servers that are, are run through, you know, obviously need power, which is either through electricity. And then, you know, you, you had your conversation about oil and gas on your other podcast. Um, so, you know, you need a, a, some source of electricity to, for the data servers to, crack their the Bitcoin code um, to get their Bitcoin. And yes. so the more, and then obviously the more expensive Bitcoin gets, the more energy you're going to need to uh, crack to, to mine and, and get. That's not true. That's not true. Go for it. Enlighten. Yeah. Okay. So that's not necessarily true. So the, um, the amount of energy you need to mine Bitcoin is, just think of it, let's use the analogy of gold. So how did people mine gold a thousand years ago? They probably panned for it in rivers, I'm guessing, right? I doubt that, that's not that efficient, but it will get you some gold. And then people realized you could um, basically dig a bunch of dirt out the ground and refine it in a different way. Um, and anyone that's watched, you know, the various old digging shows on uh, online you know seen all the crazy families in canada or wherever they are doing that right or the yukon or whatever and um so and um and then of course people realize well you know what massive mega miners came with machines as large as a giant building munching away at the landscape and and and, and so they made mining gold much more efficient um there's absolutely zero that that's just obviously fact right. exactly the same thing happens with bitcoin so how was it first mined well back in 2010 it was mined on satoshi's computer <laughs> home computer <laughs> and he was mining all the bitcoin every 10 minutes and getting 50 bitcoin every 10 minutes it was worth in effect absolutely zero because there was no market right. and then some people started doing it on their computers but home computers on their phones stuff like that 
And then it moved to be done by GPUs in maybe 2011 or 12. Um, and, um, and GPUs, as people know, are, are much more efficient at certain calculations. And, and for solving the hash function behind Bitcoin, they are much more efficient than the normal CPU. And then from China, people were like, oh, wait a minute. Um, we can make what's called an ASIC, which is, which is an, um, a, specific, a chip that is built to do one specific calculation, which is to solve the, is to hash Bitcoin. And that's, that was like a thousand X more efficient than the GPUs. So you had this, so what my point is you get way more efficient. And so it doesn't use a thousand times more energy. It's a thousand times more efficient. So you absolutely. Um, so what happens with Bitcoin is this is where it's different with gold is that with gold, if you have a gold field and it's known that you have whatever, I don't know, 10 ounces of gold per cubic meter of dirt, right? Well, that's going to be plus or minus a few ounces the same across the field, right? Yeah. Until you dig down too far. Well, with Bitcoin, it doesn't work like that. You can have the equivalent of 10 ounces per cubic meter of dirt, but every two weeks that gets readjusted based upon how much computing power is behind the network. The more power behind the network, the more difficult it gets to mine Bitcoin. The less power, and that does happen, you know, like recently, in fact, there was a little bit of a trending down in hash rate and the difficulty went downwards. So it became easier to mine Bitcoin. Um, but the point is you're having much more efficient chips uh, that are actually mining it um, and more specialist chips, meaning for someone to attack that gets harder and harder. Um, and now if, this is where we could have a massive detour into quantum computing, which I think is a whole podcast in itself. Could, uh, could, in theory, could someone who is saying if you could run renewable energy uh, mine bitcoin running on that constant renewable energy then and, and sure. get as much bitcoin that's as, what, as possible absolutely that's what we're just saying in terms of um the oil and gas industry using flared gas to power turbines to power just generators which great american mining is doing i mean my whole last podcast was on it right like absolutely like you could be a um, solar panel field in the middle of the sahara desert um mining bitcoin with your solar panels. At the end of the day, it's very simple. You have a capital cost um, right. and it means you're going to have an ongoing cost of, of, of basically your power and you just do the math and whoever has the cheapest power has the advantage. Now, if you have the cheapest power, it means you've got the most efficient way of generating power. So therefore you're incentivizing efficiency. This is what's totally lost on a lot of people. So you're incentivized, just like if you're mining gold, you want to be efficient. It's completely course, stupid right. to right. not be efficient, right? Now, it just so happens that two factors. One, China has a hell of a lot of cheap electricity at certain points of the year in certain regions. Why? Because they're very mountainous. And just like almost all power in New Zealand is hydropower. My wife's a Kiwi. I've been there many times. There are just dams all over the place. And like, because you've got all these mountains, right? Especially in the South Island. And so you've got the same in Northern China, where you've got huge amounts of cheap electricity at certain times of the year when the meltwater comes down. Um, and so you get very cheap electricity. And so entrepreneurs in China are as good as anyone in the world. You know, people like Pony Ma didn't build Tencent and WeChat because he's a bad entrepreneur and copied the US. No, he absolutely crushed the US companies in that. Like WeChat is massively more functional than WhatsApp, something which Zuckerberg himself has admitted. Um, and now I'm trying not to get into the whole CCP angle here, but like, so again, a different podcast, but um, so very, very, very entrepreneurial entrepreneurs in China were like, Oh, wait a minute. 
where's cheap electricity up there? So at first they did it without telling the government and they, um, they set up all these mining shops and they were all getting through shit tons of electricity, right? right. And then they innovated on the actual, on, on the ASICs and uh, people like Bitmain came up with these new designs and they were really efficient. And they had like 90% plus of the hash rate at some point a few years ago. Um, and then the rest of the world started realizing and cottoning on and buying these products and building their own products and competing with them. It's just at the end of the day, China has a lot of cheap electricity to this day. Um, now, it does change which parts of China they're in, and they would literally move their miners to other parts. Um, so right now, about 65% of roughly Bitcoin hash rate, i.e. the mining power, comes from China. US is about 7%, as is Russia. Uh, Kazakhstan and Malaysia are both about 5%. They're like the big guys. Um, and that 65% number in China is, I would probably argue, the most single kind of pause for concern on Bitcoin because it's China. I love China. I've been there 50 times. I live in Hong Kong. But at the end of the day, you know, it means that you can't dismiss. So anyone that dismisses the idea that uh, CCP could do something if they wanted. Now, whether it would work is a separate question, but they could try if they wanted. That can't be dismissed. That there, there's a risk. Um, so, you know, and, and people should understand what the miners do. So what they're doing is they're not creating, it's not the databases. The database is the nodes, right, that store the blockchain. Right. What the miners are doing is creating the next block that gets put into the blockchain. So what they're doing is they're saying, in this roughly 10-minute period, until a block could be solved in one minute or 20 minutes, but it, it averages uh, 10 minutes um, because of that difficulty adjustment I mentioned before. If there's too much mining, it gets more difficult and th then the block times will, would have gone down and they'll go back up to 10 minutes. So you get this roughly 10 minute cadence. Um, and uh, what, what, what the miner's doing is they're solving the hash function. That gives them the right to claim the 6.25 Bitcoin reward uh, like it is now. Um, and... Um, uh, but it also means they then propose the next block. Um, and if they propose a block that's wrong, every other miner and everyone following this on Twitter will instantly know they're trying to hack it. Um, and what will happen is ultimately the node, it will get rejected. Basically, there's a process where it will not exist and a longer chain will emerge. And the longest chain is the chain that is the chain. And that all happens completely organically with this system. It's a beautiful thing. So if a government controlled a miner and they tried to like, so all you could do, by the way, is you can't change blocks that were done 20 minutes ago. You can only change the current block. To hack something done five days ago on Bitcoin, you would have to control like 99.9999999% of the hash rate. You'd have to reorganize. It's completely not possible. Um, so... If a government, whether it's China or any government, but as most of the mining's in China, let's use the China government as an example, um, wanted to put false transactions into Bitcoin to double spend things, to basically screw it up in the last 10 minutes. Well, yeah, that could happen. But the whole world would instantly know. And I guarantee the community would, within a few hours, have it sorted. They would blacklist that miner. And you could argue that there's some amount of centralized control here, but there's no one person making that call. It's you've got hundreds of developers because the three parts, by the way, are the, the nodes, the miners and the developers that develop Bitcoin of, of which there's hundreds around the world and actually a relatively small number that you could count on both hands that actually have the ability to push live code. 
no individual could push it, but several are required to actually push code into Bitcoin, uh, like, uh, to, to, uh, to, which in effect means then the nodes have to decide to pick up that code. So you, they can't actually change the code of Bitcoin. They can propose the new code. So there are all these layers and subtleties that are actually ridiculously well thought through. Um, and whilst it sounds very unlikely that this all just emerged organically, it did. And for the same reason, Skype worked. People just used it both ways to call people and the network grew. Same with Facebook. Now, um, now I have just for you, Chris, just um, a couple of questions uh, to wrap up uh, my, my Bitcoin concerns uh, is, you know, since I'm in the wealth investment industry, uh, you know, we have to put valuations on things, right? Yeah. So my question to you is, how do you value? Now I don't have to give me the exact price, but what kind of value matrix would you use on Bitcoin to say, oh, it's kind of expensive? Because we all know that things get expensive, un, you know, cheap, you yeah, know, yeah. fair value. So is there a metric that you would use to put at least or, or try and put a value on, you know, whether Bitcoin is expensive at, or at the moment, you know, obviously, you know, because the reason why I ask that also is because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Bitcoin is still like a baby asset uh, compared yeah, to sure, assets, yeah. you know, in history. So, and there's still a lot of uncertainties that we don't know uh, how an, you know, Bitcoin would react um, if those things were happening. Obviously with recent volatility, this is why, you know, I'm also a skeptic on it as a, a preserve of wealth is when we had the March uh, crisis uh, you know, Bitcoin declined by 50%, which out of the risk assets was the largest uh, decline in, in, or in the major risk assets. If you would throw Bitcoin with the, you know, um, U.S. assets, gold, uh, you know, gold only declined 11 and a half percent, I think, from the peak of March to the equities were minus 30 or so. So, yeah. Uh, so, you know, as a, as to, I also look at wealth as um, uh, something that's a little bit more, Solid, right? So, I'm, you know, the way I also see gold is it's not an asset where you buy gold today and it's going to make you a billionaire and we're all going to be the richest people in the world by buying gold. It's really for the, you know, even for the average uh, person where they're buying gold and then, you know, in the future, since we're all on the same page where, you know, fiat is, is really going to continue to go down, uh, having, you know, preserving that wealth uh, and keeping your purchasing power, you know, so I look at, you know, there's different ways you can measure inflation. Uh, Fed says there's 2% inflation. Well, gold's up, you know, 23% for the year. So obviously gold did a good job this year of preserving so far for the year, preserving your wealth. Um, and when we had that decline in March, we had that, you know, massive, you know, so I guess, you know, the volatility obviously on the upside is, is because of the short term in, in Bitcoin's history is a plus. Um, but the way that gold does in bad, crazy economic times, when you're looking at it as a risk asset, uh, you know, continue, you know, obviously you still own gold, um, but it's just an asset that does well, even during the craziest times. I know that also going to January this year, when uh, Trump killed the Iranian general, yep. you know, we had a very huge risk asset sell off, uh, but gold went up, you know, so, you know, once again, you know, still to this year and decade, gold is still, the, uh, you know, gold go to, to, you know, a safe haven, wealth preservation, keeping your purchasing power. Uh, so, you know, and there is one metric that I use for gold as a, how do I value it as cheap or expensive? Because a lot of people are like, 
you know, is gold cheap, expensive, it's $1,900 an ounce, or, you know, it is 18 something, you know, and looking at history, there's a couple of different ways that people use it. There was the Dow to gold ratio, uh, which a lot of people say is undervalued. Uh, I actually like something going back to recent, which is in the 70s. Uh, you know, you were able to buy uh, one ounce of gold uh, in the 70s. You were able to buy one share of the S&P 500. They were the same price. So one ounce of gold equaled uh, one share of the S&P 500. Yeah. Uh, then gold spiked because we had that high inflation. It went to 800. The S&P was 150. So, you know, obviously gold, you could buy a lot more shares of S&P 500 uh, with your gold back then. Uh, then in 1990, uh, gold and the S&P were around 350 a share uh, for the S&P 500 and 350 for an ounce of gold. So a one-to-one ratio. Yeah. Uh, then <clears throat> you can go to, uh, you know, 2000. Uh, 10 and 11, where gold reached that peak previously before uh, this year, uh, and the S&P was at 1300. So once again, gold was higher than the S&P. Uh, then this year, actually, when we did have the March crash, the S&P 500 was at 2100, and gold was at 1500. So we were really almost close to that one-to-one ratio again this year with gold and the S&P 500. So I kind of also use gold, the actual price is uh, you know, should be on par with the S&P 500. And that's just kind of like another tool or metric uh, that I use. So, you know, if, if gold shot up to like 5,000 or 6,000, I would say, yeah, it's kind of expensive history relative to the S&P 500. Uh, so, you know, maybe, you know, sell some gold and, and, and diversify a little bit. So that's just something how I value and measure gold. Uh, so I'd love to take, have your take on it, how you ve- measure and value Bitcoin. Sure. And that all, that stuff on gold all makes sense. And um, so I'd say there's kind of maybe four key things. One on Bitcoin is that it's what you want to, on a store of value, you want um, it to have a genuine, a long-term reduction in its volatility. So Bitcoin is still volatile. Now it's about the same volatility as gold miners at the moment, uh, less than silver, similar to silver, a bit less than silver, but obviously much higher than gold itself. Uh, you know, gold's at about 20, Bitcoin's about 40. Well, it's actually about 50 now because it's gone up and that, it's mm. actually gone up and volatility's gone up, which is a whole, again, separate podcast. But um, so, but generally it's had a trending volatility downwards over time, but it has gigantic spikes. So there's no question on that. Um, on your point on March, yeah, everything got liquidated. Bitcoin got wrecked. It hit 4,000 for like three seconds and um, and now it's uh, four and a half times higher. So um you know, yes, you could argue that it, it got wrecked because hedge funds were going to sell Bitcoin first to liquidate. Sure. Uh, and they did. And, um, and as the institutional base gets less hot money, um, it shouldn't be as bad. Like gold, for example, you know, was, uh, does tend to sell off when all correlations go to one, or unless you're the US dollar. Um, and, um, but to your point, yeah, it sold off much less. But then again, if you look at where the price is now, it's, you know, obviously Bitcoin's outperformed it. But again, if you're, managing a portfolio you don't want big drawdowns so again that's why i don't think people should have a crazy amount of their portfolio as it you know in bitcoin so the way i measure it really is um three ways so the most important to me is the four-year cycle so you know because you have this four-year monetary policy that is known and is set in stone to change would be incredibly difficult all three constituent parts i talked about would have to agree to do it um and it'll be odd as they own a lot of Bitcoin. So it's pretty unlikely they're going to do something to negatively affect the value of that Bitcoin. Um, 
so Bob Lucas has probably done the most videos on this on YouTube and he's done it really well, but it, you, you tend to, you know, we're about three years into the cycle now. Um, it depends how you define it, but if you start uh, when you start it, but, um, and, and the last year is generally where it kind of goes crazy like it did in 17 and 13 and it looks like it will in, could do in 21 may not of course, but this is driven due to the monetary policy and the halving um, of um, the minor incentives every four years. And it, if you actually look at the highs and the lows of each cycle, it's really, really interesting. So you had a high of around 200 and then it, sorry, yeah, a high. And then it went down again to 30 or so. Then it went up to like 1200 and it went down to just about 200. So it touched the previous, uh, roughly the previous high. And from 200, it went up to 20,000. It went down to 3000, which was obviously higher than the previous high. And now we're almost back to the 20,000. Um, at exactly the same point, we were about to go through the previous high in 2016, early 17, um, which was like the, the, the 12, 1300 I mentioned. And um, you know, it tends to then go through that previous high, you get all the media coverage and all of that type of stuff. And it kind of has a blow off top to frankly, who knows what. Um, now where it could go. So the fullest cycle, I think, gives you a timing, a way to look at the timing of the market. It's not about the price. A lot, often it's about the timing. Um, and therefore, you'd expect the next peak of the cycle to be roughly December 21, plus or minus. Um, now, uh, an interesting way to look at it is look at gold's market cap and divide it by the number of Bitcoins. You know, if, if you believe it can be as impactful as gold in a, in, in a store of value and all the other stuff we talked about, it's not just that then that gets you to a few hundred K per Bitcoin. You know, there's the stock to flow ratio as in you've got, which plan B is written most about where, you know, it's, it's obviously it's got the same inflation right now. So it's got the same stock to flow as gold, but it will be half that of gold. And um, I'm sorry, I always get it the wrong way around. So stock to flow. Yeah. So it's going to have way less flow. So it's going to get to double that of gold in, in three and a half years time. Uh, again, that suggests the next cycle should be, you know, in the kind of couple of hundred K sort of ballpark. So that's kind of 10 X from where we are personally. Um, and then I, then I expect a big pullback probably down to about 50. Um, now these are all guesses, but their guess is based upon studying this and the, the cycles, the charts, the, and, you know, but it, but it could be completely wrong. Um, so I'm actually, as I've said in the podcast with Raul, um, I, I've said in stone when I'm selling, parts of my Bitcoin at 50K, 75, 100, 150, 200, just to take some profits mechanically. And also because it would be too much of my overall liquid assets. Um, and I think that's a learning from 17, which is don't be greedy. Um, may not happen. Maybe it's the peak today and it never goes through 20 ever again. And that's absolutely possible. Uh, maybe it just hovers around 10K for 10 years. I mean, all these things are possible. Um, but there is no perfect way, you know, to, to value something so new and where, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's software that changes and people build upon it. So it's a platform, it's a network. So it's not just your lump of gold, not yours, but ours, um, which again can be used for things, of course, but it is just atomic number 79 forevermore. And by changing it, it is not atomic number 79. So therefore who knows what it's going to be used for in the future. Um, you know, in the long run, I fully expect it to be, people won't talk about the price of Bitcoin because it'll be too high. They'll be talking about the price of Satoshis, which are a hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. So for Bitcoins at a, a million of Satoshis at a cent, which is kind of a neat way of, uh, you know, being central banks will already do, by the way, buy some, um, 
you know, we know Iran is. Um, I know of a Southeast Asian country that is, but they're not telling people. I know people there that are doing it. Um, people are doing it very quietly generally now because they want to get ahead because the US dollar won't be a reserve currency forever and people are going to want other options. Um, it was really interesting in China um, a few weeks ago, there was a, a huge media thing saying that Bitcoin was the best performing asset of the year. Uh, like macro assets so you know ignoring like tesla stock for example right. and, uh, and i was like wow that's I was gonna catch you on that one i was gonna say wait a second and i was like wait a minute um why on earth are they because nothing is in china is done randomly right i mean the, the entire state media do not coordinate a message unless there's a reason and you saw a, a large uptick in the number of addresses being created each day which are, we don't know where they are but one would guess they're from china because of this and um and then it doesn't take that much to realize that they've worked out it's a strategic global asset and they don't want to be on the US dollar, nor does Russia, nor does Iran, nor do all these people. But there isn't an alternative right now. I'm not saying Bitcoin's the alternative. I don't think gold is either. I don't think either are. But as I said before, I think it would be energy. But like, but, but they're being, but they're going to keep some uh, chips, you know, they're going to keep some option value. And I think one day they'll tax the miners in Bitcoin. There's a way to get more and more of it. And if you think it's ultimately has a shot at being a strategic asset that governments own, just like they own gold. Um, but, you know, one, one time they own silver. They haven't for quite a while, uh, most of them anyway. Um, then, you know, these are all you know, super interesting things. But in terms of knowing an exact price, who knows? Well, if, you know, if, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not asking for exact price. I, I don't ask anyone uh, for any asset. I think we're at the beginning of the last year of the bull run. And this is where it gets super interesting. It doing a 10x in the next year is perfectly plausible. Uh, that sounds crazy to people. Well, it did 15, no, 18x in 17, but it was a much smaller base. Um, doesn't mean it will, but it could. And I guess for people are listening that are just like, oh, but I do whatever, whatever anyone says, they're going to just not buy Bitcoin. It's like, well, you know what? If that all happens, what are you going to do? just like think you're so clever for being wrong. <laughs> I mean, because it's like, why don't you put a few percent of NAV in because it can be life-changing if, you, if, if you're wrong. That's what hedging is all about. Like we're in this fucked up world of central banks to be right, 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 right. So, well, it, it just, know, so, so therefore it, having some um, hedges, it just seems, I just don't get why people have this like religious thing against, I'm not, I don't think you do, but there are certainly people who are like, well, I'm never buying it because Governments will ban it, and that's that. And it's like, well, you, you do realize you could be wrong. You have no idea who's going to be in power in the future. Young folk tend to like stuff like this. They understand digital assets. They will be running governments. They already are, in fact, in Europe, um, in a lot of countries. So I, I don't know. I just find, like, any investing people that get too adamant about something tend to get their ass handed to them at some point. <laughs> you know, and also, I find it very frustrating when people... Look, you've done your research on this, but like there are a bunch of people who just don't. They just throw out whatever pushback that's just not a problem anymore. And they whatever they do, they will not even go and buy $10 just to go through the process, just to play about with it. They're not curious. It's the same as like, well, oh, well, governments could ban gold. So, you know, it's like, it's like people say, well, just buy a silver coin. Just do something to like go on the path to start the journey. It's no different, you know, because a gold coin is a lot of money versus a silver coin, you know. Course, right. um, so things like that kind of, I guess, frustrate me a bit. But again, as I get older, I, I, I get less frustrated. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, 
if if you and, and anyone else who owns Bitcoin and uh, you know you, you end up doing well, I mean, you know, I I was telling someone, uh, you know, if you end up there's nothing wrong with, with good success, right? You, you know, high risk, high reward, you know, the, the unknown of, of what happens in the future. But, you know, I think a lot of people in the, in the macro world all know that, you know, central banks and, and governments are going down a very yes. uh, bad path that we just haven't found a tipping point yet where it's caused the, you know, not necessarily extreme doomsday scenario, but not good for a lot of people basically. And, right. Uh, so, so, so on that, like I did a whole episode ages ago on, I think it's called framework for the 2020s. It's about hard assets in the 2020s. And the whole idea of the framework was the most liquid hard assets will be the ones to own because liquidity always drives price. And so therefore I would own actually that GLD will probably drive the price of gold more than, than physical gold because GLD is more liquid. I mean, that's just, it's obviously more liquid than physical gold. Now, it's all gold at the end of the day, so it's the price, but it's what's driving the price. Bitcoin's very liquid. Uh, wine is not is relatively liquid, but not that liquid, even though it is a liquid. Um, <laughs> wine's done really well over the years, right? And yes. then you've got land, which again, has is, is got connotations, less liquidity, but it's going to be securitized much more. And well, it up and, really interesting you should mention that in, in commodities because the uh, price of U.S. Uh, cacao is, is, has been on a tear lately, uh, along with um, uh, that and well, wood uh, as well coffee, has. Co- uh, U.S. coffee, yeah, uh, the price has been uh, well. Coffee, there was an issue in the Amazon which caused a giant spike in futures, like a yes. the mother of spikes, like a five x spike or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the ETFs, uh, ETNs didn't go up so much, but yeah, because because right. they're using rolling future contracts. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, um, but no, just looking, you know, you know a lot of us in the macro world, it's like, you know, we all agree on, on where things are going. It's just like, you know, how, how do you uh, right. navigate? But why do you, I don't need to be right? Right, right, so correct. All, this is, this is the, the overriding point is incredibly simple. I reckon most people listening probably agree with us on the whole fiat thing. I think it's, you've got to pretty much head, you have your head in a sand if you, and again, I'm now going against my own advice of not being too adamant about anything, but like, I don't think politicians are suddenly going to wake up and think, let's take all those hard decisions <laughs> that, you know, they're not going to do it. I raise taxes, reduce spending and let's get this all under control. And, you know, if they did all this, of course, you know, the, the U S bond market would get, um, you know, well, actually wouldn't be obliterated. It would do well. And equities would get slammed. And like, but it's like, um, but at the end of the day, they're just going to go the easy route print more money. And again, we've talked, I've talked in many podcasts about all that money doesn't enter the market and you know, it, 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 a lot of it's reserves and there's it, it that whole rabbit hole, which is an interesting debate, but not for now. Um, but at the end of the day, if you think fiat currency is going to have a problem in the next 10 years, great. We're all agreed. Okay. So let's say there's five assets you think could be a good hedge against that. Okay, fine. Maybe it's gold, Bitcoin, property, Vintage cars and wine. I'm just making it up, right? Could be right, art. Right, right. Could be whatever, right? Watches. Hey, that's right? a really good portfolio, by the way. Right. And watches, by the way, are in effect gold in some way. So, like, but like <laughs> the point being is like, okay, now, we, now you've then got to think. Well, which ones are liquid? Well, you know what? Fine art and art, not so liquid, but it will be right. one day as it gets securitized and tokenized. Fine. Property, bit more liquid, but again, can be tricky. There can be issues to buying and selling. 
um, wine, actually really quite liquid, global market. But you know what? You've got to store it physically. It's got to be temperature controlled. It has a carry cost, right? Um, right. Gold has a carry cost if you're storing it with GLD, for example. I say storing, but you know what I mean? Because right. uh, there's a management fee. It's very low. Um, what, what is it? 0.4 or whatever percent. I can't remember. And then um, if you store it you know, in some vault, you're going to be paying uh, a carry cost. Whatever the, the Self-custody, right. you have no carry cost, but you might not want to do that. So there's pros and cons of all of them. Why on earth? Yeah, let's just say they're the five you want to own or just say there's three you want to own. Okay, well, own some of each of them. Why put all eggs in one basket? Because if you're wrong, if you, this is why I think, I think Peter Schiff's incredibly smart guy. He actually replied to some of my tweets the other day, which I, I didn't even mention him. So. <laughs> and of course, he was, of course, saying how shit Bitcoin is because it's all he ever does. But like, it's like, um, but he sells gold. So he kind of would say that. But like, you know, it's like, he's a hundred, 99%. Yeah. I agree with him on stuff and he gets things so right. And he's been so right for such a long time, but then for some reason, like, you know, has to then say, well, all eggs need to go in this basket. Um, and if you put all eggs in one basket, it might pay off, but right, it also right. might not. And if you, if you're wrong, you got the whole fiat thing, right? Which was the macro. That's the macro. The macro isn't the then it, the macro here is the fiat thing, right? And then it's about asset allocation decisions, and it should be a function of your risk tolerance, liquidity, and what you believe in. Fine, maybe price action. However, you want to do it. It's like, I in my mind, I just don't get how people can't you know. Uh, and I understand if it's like some random crypto that no one uses, but you know, Bitcoin's not random and it's known enough now, right? So you know, it's right regulated in many ways it's regulated not regulated in many ways fine same with the gold industry by the way you know most of the crooks in financial that get fired from banks they all go and start got physical gold trading shops this is very well known like, like because it's not regulated and they can't work in the securities industry so, <laughs> everything has its pros and cons so like you know i would suggest to people they own they you know, how much of my wealth do i want in harder assets and not all assets are equal hardness um, the problem with wine is you might drink it. <laughs> the problem with land is someone might invade the country. The problem right, is there's right. always a problem, right? Um, and uh, the problem with gold is one day, and people hate it when I say it, and it won't happen for a while, but one day it will be economic to mine gold in other ways. Whether it's an asteroid or out of seawater, it will happen at one point. Seawater, there is gold in it. You can do it. It's just a case of economics. So, and again, the gold price will be much higher if that's the case, but there's pros and cons to everything. So of course, of course. work out what you want to put in your protective part of your portfolio. Do you want that to be all your portfolio, 10% of your portfolio? Well, that's an individual choice. Yeah. And then the rest of the portfolio works itself out because it's going to be probably a mixture of uh, you know, stocks and probably in different countries, uh, maybe some form of bonds um, and, um, you know, and some amount of cash for flexibility. It, it, it's like, that's how I think about a portfolio. So, I just don't want people to have got uh, the macro uh, thing right. And uh, then they just, they have to be then right on which asset. I, I don't <laughs> understand that. I just, I, you know, and also I think people overthink things massively. Like, you know, it, all these things no, are just I, I, assets. Absolutely. Like they're just, you know what you should really do is don't call it Bitcoin, gold, wine, property, whatever. Call it asset A, asset B, asset C, asset D. Look at the liquidity <laughs> of them. Look at the volatility. Look at the market caps, this type of stuff take out the emotion um 
Sorry, I droned on a bit there, but like, I, that's what no, no, no. we all get wound up about. Like, just call it asset well, ABCD and you'll get rid of the emotion. Everyone's still invested. Not everyone. Most people still invest with far too much emotion. It, it's one of the things where you, um, it, 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 it depends on, and I always tell this to all my clients, it depends on the individual, right? So sure. you and I are different than, say, someone who's 70 years old, right? So uh people who want to speculate more can obviously buy more and risk more than someone who has, uh, yeah. you know, new to live on. So, uh, and that's where, you know, hopefully people have, um, and if they want to reach out to me, uh, they can, but uh, they have good people looking out for them and solving their individual uh, needs, not just to speculate and hope that, you know, um, you know, I, I never tell anyone, you know, buy gold and that you'll be super rich, even if hyperinflation uh, happens that, you know, uh, and if history were to repeat itself, you know, gold is just going to maintain your purchasing power. You know, if gold goes to, you know, $20,000 an ounce, um, it's not necessarily that you're going to be super rich. It's probably going to be a bad scenario if, if that scenario actually did happen, um, where everything else is just really expensive and, uh, you know, you're just maintaining your, your current lifestyle. So, you know, it, it all depends on, uh, you know, all these macro trends that, that happen. But, you know, it's not something that I really advocate where um, I say buy precious metals because you'll be a billionaire by owning it It's or a millionaire and, and you'll buy whatever, you know, you want in life. Uh, you know, like I said, just more of preserving uh, what you earn, what people earn, you know, and that's, that's how I kind of look at it. I think it's a good place to end. It's good. Um, awesome. So what's the best place for, so people can go to, uh, what website, what Twitter handle, what's the best way to... Yeah, uh, absolutely. You can, yeah, you can find me on uh, Greg Crennan uh, or at Greg Crennan on Twitter. Uh, you can reach me at goldenccbiz.com. Uh, you can look my name up, Greg Crennan on social media and Golden Coast Consultants on social media. And uh, if anyone has any questions, I set up individual portfolios uh, for each individual, depending on what their needs are. And uh, I just have one last question for you, Chris, because I, I didn't ask you. Uh, what, what, when did you get into Bitcoin? I, I just wanted to know that, by the way, if, if we don't mind. Yes, yeah, so it was up. like six or seven years ago. So I first bought it at 200 bucks. It was just after it had come down from 1300 and it went down to about 160, maybe 165. So um, this was like in mid, late 14 from memory. And then... Um, it kind of put in a higher low and I'm like, oh, it's not seashells because it hasn't just gone to zero. It's going up again. And then I just, I didn't buy a huge amount then, but I, that was the first time. Um, and um, so it would have been like roughly late 14, I guess. So about six years ago. Um, and I, I just thought I didn't understand anything that I understand now. I thought, you know what? This is a really interesting, the fiat thing wasn't so strong then. It kind of was after 08, but it was like, I don't know. I wasn't on Fintwit then, so I didn't really know. And um, I just went and bought some. And I just sat on it for years and forgot about it. I completely forgot I owned it. And well, good thing you didn't forget your password then. I completely forgot <laughs> for probably a year and a half, two years. And I'm like, oh, it seems to be doing something. And then 2017 happened. I'm like, holy moly. Like, so, um, yeah, that, that, that was the first time. I've bought it since other times, but generally when it's had a big correction. Um, you're in a bull market, you buy dips, right? In a, in a, in a bear market, you sell rips. So. <laughs> Easier right, said right, than right, done. Right, right. So yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I would love to, if you don't mind, uh, come back and talk more 
uh, about commodities or, you know, kind of talking about this, you know, once we get more clarification on economic global policy based on who's running, running the show here come 2021. Yeah, well, that would be great. Because, I mean, Trump sort of semi-conceded today-ish. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, hey, you might even have a government and there might not be a civil war. <laughs> Maybe. So, um, Maybe. We will see, but it, I'm sure it... Uh, well, I'm sure the shit show will continue. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But uh, that's a good idea. And like, when the dust settles a bit, I want to cover everything from bonds to commodities to stocks to, with different folk to just because right now it's just very hard to. There's just you know too much going on, and we don't really know what the next path is. So yeah, yeah. cool. All right, good stuff. Well, thanks again, Greg. We'll speak to you soon. No. Thank you, Chris. You have a good one. Stay safe, okay? Happy thanks. Or I'm sorry, I was going to say happy Thanksgiving. But no, that's all right. All I think I'm celebrating it with happy- an American friendship. <laughs> he's being very quiet. So. Happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners out there who are celebrating. Stay safe. Cool.